Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke Betzner. I'm your host. And today, our guest is Pastor Nelson Walker. If you missed last week's podcast, Brian Nixon was with me and we discussed who is the woman of Revelation 12. Now, all of these questions that we're answering come from students. And I've got a list of questions. And as we talked about last week, we don't do any prep for these. And I brought a 12-sided die. That's how many questions I've got. So I'm going to roll this die, and we're going to pick a question, and we're going to go for it. All right, it came up an 11. Let me grab that. Oh, boy. I guess we're just going to jump right in. It says, can women be pastors? Can women be pastors? So at this point, I'll turn it over to you. Oh, thanks. Okay. (laughs) And you can start us with a background, and we'll unpack it a little bit. There are two views in contemporary conservative church history. They're called complementarianism and egalitarianism, big words. One word, egalitarianism, we'll short it down to equal. Complementarianism, we're going to short it down and say complement. So let's take something before we get into the Bible, just biologically. Biologically, men and women are different. The question is, functionally, are they different? Many of those who would argue today that women should have the ability and permission to fulfill any role in the church, any function in the church, including being a pastor, will go to passages such as, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. I'll say, see, we're, we're all equal. Those who would say, no, women are not to be the lead pastor, will go back to Paul, who says, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over men. Now, that didn't mean women couldn't teach. I mean, you had women teachers. You see them uh, prophesying in church and teaching in church in the book of Acts, and Philip's daughters, for example, would be, it's a church service, and they'd give prophecy and, and spoke. So it wasn't speaking of women not being able to do things. So what we're dealing with are two schools of thought. One says says men and women are completely equal and should share and equally have both the same roles. The other says, no, God created roles. Some can fulfill some roles. Some can fulfill others. Also spoke of Jesus saying, the Father and I, we are one, and yet he would say the Father is greater than I. So he said, by nature, we are one. So before God, we are one. He says, but functionally, the Father sent the Son. The Son provided the atonement. Functionally, my Father's greater than I because he was positionally on earth and not positionally in glory. So they had different functions and yet equal by nature. Okay, that's what is being said here. Paul appealed to creation. He said God created them and gave them different roles. So if you look at the roles they had, the woman was the helper Keep in mind, that doesn't mean servant. God calls himself the same Hebrew word, the helper. Basically, someone who comes along to rescue somebody who can't do it by themselves. That's so. And so, males would say, yeah, I need that. Um, they had different roles. If you look at the curse after the fall, they're different roles. Uh, God cursed things with Adam having to do with things to do and cursed woman with things having to do with people you know. So, the arguments summarize. One group says, They can do everything the same. There's no difference. And they would say the Bible is just culturally interpreted. The other group 
and Calvary's fall in this, would say Paul didn't appeal to culture. He appealed to creation pre-culture in the Garden of Eden, which was emphasized again in the fall and said that they had distinctive roles. So what Paul was saying in Timothy is that the woman's role is distinctly different from the male's and to be the chief teacher, not a teacher, the chief teacher, uh, is what Paul's referring to, is something that was reserved strictly for males. It wasn't cultural. It was appealed to in creation. Of course, there are many people who will say, oh no, we disagree. That's fine. This is not a salvational issue. It is not an essential issue. I think it's a body of Christ functional issue, but it's not an issue that gets people in and out of heaven. I think biblically, to be correct, we have different roles appealing to creation, and that those who would say otherwise are appealing to culture to interpret the Bible rather than appealing, rather than those who say women are not supposed to be in that role, appealing to the Bible to interpret culture. Excellent. Love love the answer. Just so that those of you in the audience, if you haven't already heard Dr. Pastor Nelson, he is the dean of Calvary College, and so this is why we are discussing these things, because you're squawking at us, and we're squawking back. That's the whole point of student questions at Calvary College. What he's just articulated is what we teach at the college. It's what we believe the scriptures teach. But I'm going to unpack this a little bit further here, because there are those two views, the complementarian view as well as the egalitarian view, and that's already been fleshed out. Now, there is an interesting facet of this where in Scripture itself, I'm curious what you think about this, do we ever find an example of a woman being a pastor? We know that there are a lot of people who want to argue for the egalitarian view. But to my knowledge, we don't even find an example of a woman pastor. We find them doing everything but, it seems like. Do you know of any examples there where there are even an allusion to a woman pastor? There are not women pastors in the New Testament. However, the arguments that would be used is, well, that was cultural. So therefore, they wouldn't have had, you know, because in that culture at that time, it wasn't just the, like our culture. In that culture, women were almost second class. Um, citizens. They had no rights. They were uh, a subhuman. Men ruled. Women were owned like you would own livestock. Uh, yes, you marry and, and, and all of that, but th they were more of a livestock issue. Let me ask a clarifying question here, because when we're talking about the culture, the initial spread, of course, in the church is what we would call Asia Minor, right? North of Jerusalem, and over into the area of Turkey, so sort of northwest where a lot of the churches were, the churches that John mm -hmm. wrote to. But then Paul's mission goes across the Aegean Sea and into the area of Greek and Macedonia over there. And we find that there were women meeting there, and all of a sudden he talks to them, right? And Lydia seems to be the first European convert, mm -hmm. if we can be a slightly anachronistic and call that area Europe instead of Europa. Um we have a woman convert that's there, um, but she she is in a completely different culture than what we might find in Asia Minor or even in Jerusalem. So when we're talking about the culture of women in general, would you delineate what we're talking about in Jewish 
culture, which I think is what you were you were going for initially, versus something like Roman culture or Greek culture that may have been there. Well, in all cultures at that time, Roman, Greek, Jewish, women were second class. the The only reason I'm saying this is for those who would say it's cultural. And so if you're going to say, well, you did not see women teachers in the first church, you say, well, it wasn't culturally appropriate for that. Uh, we have since become more enlightened, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm open up to that argument. The argument that is insurmountable is the argument that appeals to creation. Yes. Because now I have taken God's original order of design and purpose from before the fall and immediately upon the fall when God shows up and, and uh, the fall brought, of course, the... God showing up and the curses that, that came out on um, three creatures that God had created. Now I'm appealing to something that transcends all cultures, all times. So rather than saying, well, I don't see them in the New Testament, someone said, well, that was a cultural issue. I can't answer that. There, there was a cultural bias against women in mm. that culture, and so I have no answer to that. I have to appeal to something that transcends that and that's paul in timothy when he appeals to creation paul also says remember that before god we're equal male female etc just like jesus said i and the father we are one we are equal in antos in being but we are different in functions the father sent the son the son died for our sins the holy spirit convicts the holy spirit draws so we have different functions within the trinity therefore we also see different functions within humanity they are not more or less functions. They are different functions. That's the way God set it up in creation. And as far as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there doesn't seem to be any further qualification. Or in the Bible, there's no felt need to further qualify the reasons as to why God has stated it to be the way that it is. The creation argument is the foundational argument, and even though today, for some reason, many many groups don't consider it sufficient, it is largely the exclusive argument that Paul uses. And so, do you believe, well, you've, you've mentioned it already, uh, that culture is sort of driving the biblical interpretation to where they're willing to sacrifice what was clearly a biblically sufficient argument as to why it is the way it is to, oh, that's not good enough or that doesn't fully explain it, or that's too primitive. I've even heard some say that Paul was a misogynist, and that's the, why, that's the reason he's made the arguments that he has. But speak a little bit, if you could, about the biblical authority and why that argument, being from the Bible, should be sufficient for believers who value the Word of God. I've heard arguments that will say things like, you only find this once in the Scripture, so therefore... And I would say, well, once you use that argument, we have things like Jesus and the um, Samaritan woman. That's only Mm. found once. Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. That's only found once. Uh, So there are many things that are only found once, and and we don't question them. So let me do away with that. That argument's only found once, and so therefore it's Mm. not a a sound argument. There's a lot of stuff that's only found once. Uh, Psalm 23 is only found in Psalm 23. It's nowhere else. (laughs) So there are things that are only found once, and I want to do away with that argument and say it's not about the number of arguments that can be launched. I'm going to back up first. In apologetics, I use a saying all the time. 
Never wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty. The pig likes it. So whenever we're in an issue of dispute, it is to define the terms and find the premise. It's not the many, many, many arguments. It is the premise. Assuming we agree that the Bible is the word of God and is to be interpreted literally, then we have to go to the premise of the argument. The premise of the argument is God's creation. That's the premise. Not what somebody was doing in the New Testament as much as God's creation. Paul said, this is the way God made it. So this is the way it needs to be now. And then we, many years later, will say, well, this is the way our culture sees it. Paul appealed to creation to discuss how it should be done in his culture. Same argument. We appeal to, that's the premise. Creation applies to the culture, and culture needs mm-hmm. to conform to the premise. And for those who say, well, that's just over there. Um, yeah. You just acknowledge that it is there. I'm going to completely side note something. I noticed today they repainted a lot of the lines for the parking. Hmm. And, of course, the handicap lines are specially striped and things of that nature. And I remember, it's been a couple of years, somebody came to the front desk and they had been, a ticket had been placed on their car by police officers for them parking in the handicap zone. Hmm. And they said, well, the stuff is faded. We repaint once a year, things fade. He says, it's faded. I said, it's faded? So you saw that it was faded? He said, yes. I said, so you saw it. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then it gets repainted yearly, and it fades a little bit. But just because it's faded doesn't mean it's not real. That yeah. kind of funny antidote goes to this. Just because God only gave this seven-day of creation narrative and the fall and all that in, in those first few chapters of Genesis, that doesn't mean that it's undone. It's the premise. God created functionally different roles. God himself shows functionally different roles. It's not inferiority superior or inferiority or superiority. It is functionally different. It's a one-time argument. I don't need to appeal to everything else hmm. because God laid the foundation and said, this is the way it is. Paul interpreted it and said, this is the way it is. I'm good to go. Right. I, I think that that explains excellently. The Bible doesn't have to repeat itself in order for it to have already said what needed to be said the first time. And I think that the, the whole thing about the order of creation that so often we take for granted, it's an, an even the order within a trinity. I like to call it a chosen order of submission. It's something where God himself chooses to fulfill a particular role, not because he is inferior to himself as God, or that any member of the Godhead is inferior to one of the other members of the Godhead, but they choose in their submission, just as when Christ came here, he took upon himself the form of a servant. And you have the whole idea of the kenosis, right? That didn't diminish... Okay, just slow down. You said kenosis. Kenosis has to do with Philippians chapter 2, where it says, Jesus Christ emptied himself and took on the form of the servant. The word emptied himself comes from the Greek word kenosis. He, he tosses it out, but some people might not have known that. Kenosis has to do with the self-emptying of Christ, where he voluntarily left behind his, his position in heaven, encapsulated his godhood within his humanity, 
in order to become incarnate. So when it says Jesus emptied himself, that is the kenosis, refers to the incarnation so that you now have the two natures, God and man, within Christ. Perfect. And I I did take that for granted. You you did use a big (laughs) word there, boss. You sound like a college teacher. Oh, no. (laughs) Heaven forbid. (laughs) But... uh, but the, in that in that way that he humbled himself, the Bible says that he's our example in all things. Yes. And that in marriage in particular, or within the church, we are supposed to submit ourselves to one another yes. in the fear of God. Yes. In order for us to fulfill our roles in love. And I'm going to emphasize to one another, not gender specific there. Correct. To one another. Correct. And so even though we have the picture of Christ and the church as Paul says, this is a great mystery, being indicative of the marital relationship as well, where there is a chosen order of submission, there's not a inferior, superior, even though it says, take care of the woman as the weaker vessel. A lot of people take that and they're like, oh, well, the Bible is against women. And it's like, well, no. The Bible says in Christ, there is no male or female. Just as you stated, spiritually, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, but functionally, The Lord has asked us each within the church, the body, to fulfill different things, regardless of what they are. And I feel like in this same manner, we shouldn't be upset regardless of where we're serving as to the fact that someone else may be serving in a capacity that we have not been given the ability or the gifting to serve in. Yeah, yeah, it goes beyond male-female at that point. You have the body of Christ, and it talks about many members and different gifts. And Paul, of course, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, is one of the best analogies. There are three main chapters talking about spiritual gifts, but he talks about some prophets and apostles and teachers and pastors and evangelists. And he, and he starts listing these different gifts. And, you know, we get in the book of Acts and you see I've got females, you know, like Philip's daughters. They're, uh, they're, they're teachers. They're prophetesses. Mm-hmm. But not everyone's a prophet. And that's what Paul was saying is some are called to this function, some are called to that function. This has nothing to do with gender at this point. Right. It means that there are different functions and different roles. And then Paul, of course, uses the analogy and says, well, if a hand says I'm not the foot or, or you know, I'm not the eye and, and how the body starts, to, everybody wants to be something else and the grass is always greener. And what Paul is saying is now find your role. What is your role? Where, where's your gifting? That is where you will flourish. That is where God can use you the most to to work according to your giftings. And maybe somebody's called to be a, a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or the other gifts they speak about. And that's their area. Right. It's not inferiority, superiority. It is simply functional difference. And Paul will emphasize that the whole body comes together, that the whole body is edified. If I'm properly fulfilling whatever role that might be, according to whatever gifting that might be, others benefit more. If I try to fit in some place that I don't fit, let me emphasize, I love the children's ministry and what they do. Oh, my goodness. When my child, when my children were young, I'm a grandparent now, when my children were young, and I thought it incumbent upon me to volunteer as part of the help in the children's ministry (laughs) because my children were there. I, I I came to a stark realization <laughs> that I was definitely functioning in an area well outside of my gifting. And I so much began to appreciate my wife saying, she's got a couple of these at home during the day. 
<laughs> I and, and and she does this for hours, and she's saying, "Wow, I'm impressed." <laughs> right. So, I know others that they, it just lights them up. They're just so thrilled, and it's like. I praise God that you found this gifting and are doing it. Right. I can't do that and 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 do it well. It doesn't mean I don't love kids and, and I just that much noise. I mean, little humans running around. I, I, it's <laughs> it's I can't do it. Right. Body of Christ function, not better or worse. And that that's one of the strange things is that so much of our society has been based on. I don't have to do what someone else does in order to be equal with them, right? That's the huge focus in the culture, but it seems like this particular area is a blind spot where it seems that the the accusation of inequity is tossed at the church because they're not letting someone do something that someone else is doing. And so there's this, this strange dichotomy where in culture we, we throw that out the window. We say, oh, well... I don't have to do what you do to be as valuable as we as you are. And everybody would embrace that, right? This is why we, in our society, we value even those who have significant physical challenges. We take care of them. We promote them. We give them what they need to do and to be functional. And we don't say you're less valuable because you can't do what I do the way that I do it. But then we turn around when it comes to this particular issue. And we, I'm just saying our culture here in general and seems to say, well, if you don't let me do what you're doing, or if I can't do what you're doing, you're telling me I'm not as valuable. And it's a complete, it turns the entire cultural viewpoint on its head to say, well, I'm not what I do, right? I'm, I'm who I am. And what I do is not what determines my value. And so many that I find on the egalitarian side seem to go along with this cultural push that says, well, if we're not letting a woman take the position of pastorate, we have somehow failed to show equity within the church. And yet we don't take that position anywhere else where someone has to have the right to do something in order for us to consider them to be equal in value. And I think that that, that's a good assessment where there is, in our society, rather than saying all are equal, God created all in his image and all have value. And of course, uh, our country, we, we're all created equal. Right. Uh, on the one hand, we will say that. But on the other hand, there is this sense that some positions are more equal than others. Yes. If I have this position, I am greater than those others who have lesser positions. And so I'm going to have to do to you what you did to me. You threw out a quote there that I, I love. It's from Orwell. Where at the very end, he takes this and he says, there was only one rule at the end of the animal farm, and it was that all animals are equal, but some were more equal than others. And it's, it's, a, great, it's a great way to show sort of the absurdity. And, and, and <laughs> so the equation of, if I do this, I am better than, greater than. And if I'm not allowed to do that, you're saying I'm not as good as. Right. And... The church argues we are all equal before God. There is none greater or lesser. Be that male, female, bond, free. That's what Peter's sermon in Acts 2 is all about. Yeah. Male, female, bond, free. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon all equally. 
male, female, bond free, old, young. There is none greater or lesser. We are equal. However, they're different functions. And it doesn't mean that one is better than another. It just means that they're different. So somewhere along the line, people confused functions with better than. Mm. And I'll say if my car is breaking down, the person who's better than anybody else is the mechanic. <laughs> Good point. So it's, so it's not a better than. It's, it's functional. And the body of Christ is functional. However, there are restricted roles. Only Jesus provided the atonement in person, dying on the cross. The Father provided by sending the Son, but only Jesus died on the cross. Functional roles do not make one better or worse. Functional roles are just unique to that individual or gender. So as we're drawing this to a close, we've got just a few minutes left, and we've discussed this and really unpacked it. And really grateful to have Pastor Nelson on here. Pastor, is it Dr. Pastor Nelson or is it Pastor Dr. Nelson? (laughs) Yep, my mama used to call me Nelson. Sometimes, sometimes she called me by my whole name. Uh And I saw saw a meme that said, um, run, like your mama used your whole name. (laughs) Exactly right. I I can identify with that. So it it would be safe to say then, based on what we've discussed, that the church should resist the false guilt that's being put on it from the culture, that it needs to change the role that women have in the church in order to fulfill Christian teaching and to truly accept women in the church. Would you agree with that? Well, women teach all the time. Uh, The church would not exist if not for the women teachers. And women lead many, many, many ministries. So the church doesn't necessarily... If the church is already doing what the Bible commands in this area and allowing women the same freedom that they are shown to be able to have in Christ, with the exception of the pastoral office, then the church should be able to, with biblical authority, push back, clearly define its motives as to why this is happening based on the original narrative of creation, and sort of push off the false guilt that I think so many have fallen into to where they they capitulate and they do something that is inherently unbiblical for maybe the best of reasons, but they end up coming down in the wrong place. What are your final comments on that before we wrap up here? In Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. We are created in the image of God. All have value and worth that is equal. Functionally, we play different roles. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. That was Paul's argument. The body and the, you know, the hand, the foot, the eye, the, the ear. We all have a function, and it is vital. The goal isn't to try to figure out what function is better. The goal is to figure out what function is best for the individual. Mm. Only then do we truly let God maximize his calling through our lives. No, that's, that's an excellent word. Again, grateful for this conversation. I have 11 other questions here. We're going to continue to be asking for questions. If you have additional questions, those of us, those of you who are listening to us, write us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. That's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. We would love to hear your questions. We will take them. We'll put them on the card. We'll subject them to the probability exercise of the die, and we will answer them and continue this conversation. So thank you again for listening, and God bless.